In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about tossers, pillocks, and razas. Families that care and judging people by their tracksuits in our discussion of 16 Souls by Rosie Talbot. Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult and sometimes other books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we are talking about 16 Souls by Rosie Talbot. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. It's such a good book. But apparently it was different. Apparently it was different for you than it was for me, so I'm curious about that. Oh, I feel like I should have written down examples. I feel like you should have. Anyway. I could get them. <laughs> Give us some background information I'll do some quick research. <laughs> okay, so I read an interview with YA Books Central, and they asked, what can readers expect to find in your books? And I feel like... Rosie's response is just like everything that we love in fictional hangover. So I knew that this was the background info that I had to share. Her response is wholesome, cozy, queer, found family being completely chaotic and messy and some super tense scenes that will have readers regretting reading at night. (laughs) I thought it was amazing. And I feel like it was written especially for us. I think it was too. Right? She goes on to say, I like to offer both cozy and spooky vibes. It's hard to write a book about death without dealing with some heavier themes, but I promise there's plenty of lighthearted funny moments in 16 Souls too, And a ghost dog called Dante. I love Dante. I know. I know. He's precious. He's precious doggo. And found family and coziness and spookiness and it's just there's some really cinematic like ghostly horror scenes as well like yes i got 13 ghosts vibes same thank you thank you thank you oh yeah i was like i'm getting chills thinking about it actually because i can really really see it and i would absolutely love to see it yeah I would love it. Same. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be amazing. My research is not done very well because the problem is I'm thinking of the British words and... It's fine. Maybe you'll just remember some things and it'll be fine. <laughs> what are your initial thoughts about this book other than the fact that you love it because samesies? Do you have anything to add? It was nice to have a book set in a city I know and love so much. My two favourite cities in the UK are Edinburgh and York and if I could live in either of them I I would. Um, I visit regularly. I took 16 souls. I got 16 souls from York. Um, I don't know if it was my copy or your copy and took pictures of it touring York because that's the kind of silly thing I would do. 
took it to York Ghost Merchants, showed the York Ghost Merchant people, and they were like, ooh. So yeah, it's his toured. I need to take um, 12 bones for a little trip as well. You do. It's just a perfect excuse for you to go to York again. Oh, it's been too long. As if you need one. I need to shamble down the shambles. There is a picture of me on my wall of me and my husband drunk one anniversary. We did go to York and we were drinking cocktails out of um, teapots and teacups at a cocktail bar. (laughs) I do not remember how we got back (laughs) to our hotel room or taking the picture at the top of the shambles. (laughs) <laughs> knocking amazing. on the hotel room hotel because they locked the door and go, hello can you let us in please and they put nonsense so I had a call reception oh god, god that was a long time ago they had That's a, a, a Pembley library in the hotel it wasn't very good though anywho, anywho what were your thoughts <laughs> oh just that I loved it and I mean this one has been sitting on my shelf for a while because you sent it to me and we're like, oh, we're going to talk about it on the show. So I'm like, well, I don't need to read it yet. I don't need to read it yet. I got to wait. I got to wait. Do you know and because it doesn't have an audio book, then I, I feel like I need to focus on it. You know? I, I would be interested if the it, audio book fine. followed the UK print version or the ebook version. And I'm going to get to that. I'm just wondering if anything is like vastly different. We'll get to this conversation about it because okay. yeah, it's it, it's a yes and it's a no. Um, it's one of those it's one of those geographical things. I think. Okay. Let's do let's let's let's, 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 do, let's, do let's share the story first. Let's do that. As Claire tries to do some of it in between. <laughs> Charlie Frith is walking down the shambles in his hometown of York, trying to ignore the rubbing from his prosthesis and avoid the dead. Heather, his companion, is a ghost, but she's a friend. The recently dead are the ones who are the most troubling. York is full of history, so it's no surprise that it's also full of ghosts. Charlie is a seer, so the dead can talk to him and touch him, and some get too handsy or try to eat him, which is not ideal. As Heather keeps up her chatter, they pass a little skeleton urchin boy, a looped ghost, one who doesn't know they are dead and relive their death over and over and over and over and over again. There are three types of ghost. Free, tethered, and looped. Charlie reaches his destination, a geek shop to buy a gift for a friend. And he's lo- as he's looking, Audrey Nightingale, who looks straight out of the 1940s, tells Charlie he's picked up a tail. She's one of the few ghosts he interacts with and respects his rules about keeping things unparanormal as possible. Audrey indicates a boy around the same age as Charlie with dark hair and a waxed green jacket. He's not subtle as he watches Charlie shop. He could be recently dead, but he isn't acting in the typical manner of someone new to the incorporeal state. Regardless, Audrey is clearly afraid for Charlie. Making his purchase of a three-headed puppy plush, Charlie heads for the back entrance while Heather ducks out to go another way. Quickly, Charlie heads through the city, over the river to the train station, and finds Heather waiting at the bus stop. They board the bus, and as they pull away, they see Waxed Jacket is standing there, watching, as if he wants to be seen. Charlie realizes he didn't follow him. He knew where he was going and was waiting for him. 
At home, Charlie runs the gauntlet of Mr. Broomwood and his obsession over his roses and their proper care. Since his death, Mr. Broomwood has haunted his old house and has been very stressed by the tenant's lack of care for his once beautiful garden. Charlie got meningitis at age nine and the infection took both his legs below the knee, killed him and left him with the ability to communicate with the dead. Inside his bedroom, Dante, the ghost collie, comes to greet Charlie and Ollie, a perpetual 11-year-old waif, is waiting on Charlie's bed. They met when Charlie was nine and have been friends since. Charlie takes off his prosthetics, transfers to his chair and deals with the sores and cleans the liners while Ollie and Heather are busy chatting about comics in his bedroom. Charlie pulls out the hastily wrapped on the bus gift from him and Heather to celebrate Ollie's death day and Ollie adores his Cerberus plushie. I love that he's like, hey, yeah, I'm a waif. <laughs> Sickly waif. <laughs> nice to meet you. Charlie has rules for his ghostly friends, as seeing them do incorporeal things makes his brain hurt. Rule one, no moving through solid objects, walls, or hedges when I'm looking. Rule two, no floating or otherwise breaking the laws of gravity. Rule three, no disappearing or reappearing. Charlie opens the door for Heather so she can walk Dante, pops his head into his twin sister's room to see them and their visiting cousin sleeping, then Charlie goes to eat his tea. When Charlie takes the rubbish out, he scans the area for waxed jacket, but Audrey confirms he isn't there, though Charlie can't help but feel Audrey is keeping something from him. Charlie wishes there was more he could do to help the dead, but he's wary of them. In bed, Charlie thinks about waxed jacket and how he looked determined not desperate. Ooh. Monday at school, Charlie is on edge and runs into Mitch and Leonie. Mitch used to be his best friend and perhaps could have been something more until their school trip to France. Now his two friends are a couple. They have a message for Charlie. The new kid was asking after him. Suddenly, Charlie spots wax jacket down the corridor, but he hurries away. Charlie can't be bothered with study periods, so decides to head to the sports equipment pavilion to hide. Unfortunately, Charlie runs into a death-looped ghost that shouldn't be there as it wasn't there before. Charlie is dragged into the man's death and experiences all the pains and emotions of, and trigger warning here, his hanging with him till the wax jacket pulls Charlie out of it. The busybody deputy head of the school is doing his regular check of the pavilion since it's the school's number one make-out and smoking spot and sees both Charlie and Wax Jacket. As Wax Jacket runs off, Charlie realises the deputy saw both of them, so that confirms that Wax Jacket is real and not a ghost. Charlie ends up outside the headmaster's office with piss-soaked pants. Poor Charlie. Poor Charlie, he peed his pants. His dad and an ambulance have been called, and while he waits for their arrival, he's once again a spectacle for the school gossip. Leonie comes over to him, but before she can speak, Charlie passes out and wakes up in the hospital with waxed jacket sitting next to him. He's charmed the nurse into believing he's Charlie's secret boyfriend, and we already are in love with him. Yeah. Yeah. Waxed Jacket introduces himself as Sam Harrow. 
he too can see the dead after dying in an accident. He's fairly new to the area, but noticed the ghosts of York are disappearing. James Reed the Piper vanished a fortnight ago, and Mad Alice hasn't been seen for over a week now. Sam wants Charlie, as a local, to help reach out to the ghosts and find out what's been going on. Charlie flatly refuses. He doesn't want anything to do with the dead. Sam tells Charlie he believes their gifts should be used. Charlie tells him to piss off. Piss off. After a few hours, Charlie is discharged, but has to go to an appointment for his new sockets. While his dad goes for coffee, Charlie sits in the waiting room. Ollie comes in, followed soon by Heather, and Charlie types out what happened with the death loop. Sam Harrell, and how Audrey didn't say he was a seer. Despite taking this precaution, Charlie still ends up talking to Ollie and Heather, which his dad catches and makes him worry that Charlie is hearing voices again. Bloody hell, Dad. He was only talking to his friend Sam on the phone, honestly. Yeah. It seems his dad believes him. As they pull up to their house, Charlie spots a dead girl on the doorstep. It's careless. Thankfully. Thankfully, the ragged girl disappears, and Charlie can walk inside without bumping her. But they made eye contact, so she knows he can see her. During the night, Charlie wakes with a headache and transfers to his chair to get some water. While in the kitchen, he hears something and sees shadowy movement. As Charlie turns to go back to bed, he sees a slender, red-nailed hand vanish behind the doorframe and a half-brown face with silver eyes in the shadows before disappearing. Ollie comes to check on Charlie and he insists it must have been the ragged girl. He is clearly kidding himself here. Charlie and Ollie head to the ragged school where a few of the ragged ghost children play. Charlie needs to be careful as there is a known death loop in the area. After the hangman's death loop shifted, anything could happen. As they search, they notice a strange wax-like residue on the ground. It's wax. But are interrupted by the ragged children before they can investigate further. The ragged children confirm their friends are going missing. Their friend Ophelia even saw it happen and the shadow man is the one doing it. Audrey sent the ragged girl to Charlie to pass on a message that if she didn't return by the quarter moon, remember the capital of runes. Thank you for that cryptic message, Audrey. It also seems whoever or whatever is taking ghosts has also taken Audrey. As Charlie and Ollie prepare to leave, Charlie is caught in another death loop. This one is of an orphan boy who was beaten to death by shitstain George Pym, who was known for taking in orphans, keeping the money for their care, then starving, beating and killing them. Luckily, Heather is able to pull Charlie out before his head is caved in. He's got a few cuts and bruises, though, and Charlie ignores the latest death loop wounds because they need to go and talk to Ophelia. Charlie, Ollie and Heather head to the Snickleway Inn. Ophelia is haunting an upper room, pining for her lost love at the window, which provides a great view of the street. Millie, who is always testing the length and strength of her tether, was encouraging Ophelia to look for her love herself and even offered to help. But then a shadow man rose from the earth and when the dust cleared, Molly was gone. 
Charlie examines the street outside and finds some strange marks, though nothing that stands out too much. But this is an area that's trampled by tourists. He decides he needs to head home via Mad Alice Lane to see if there are any signs there. On Charlie's phone, his search for Capital of Ruins has brought up a result. Now it's able to connect to the internet. A photo of a ruined townscape with piles of rubble, burnt out houses, churned mud, and standing water. It's St. Lo, Normandy. It's where Charlie was first caught in a death loop. Oh. Oh. At Lund Court, formerly known as Mad Alice Lane, which is my favourite street name ever, a course tour guide is playing, applying his trade to a group of enraptured tourists. Ollie is convinced the guide, dressed in all black and with a top hat, could be their shadow man, especially when he seems to spot a weird mark on the wall. Or, you know, perhaps he's just noticed something odd in the area because he knows it so well. As the alley clears, Charlie isn't alone. Sam Harrow is there, scribbling in his notebook. They examine the mark and Charlie tells him it isn't the only one. Sam confirms there is one on Walman Gate too. Sam doesn't think another ghost is doing this. It must be a physical phenomenon. Heather agrees it's the work of the living. Sam also points out a smell and encourages Charlie to close his eyes and breathe deep. Feeling like a tosspot, Charlie eventually smells the charcoal and something sweet, which Sam says is a sign of magic which they need to cleanse. Ollie takes Sam to a local tea shop for some supplies. When they return, Sam burns the tea mixture, which causes a shimmer in the air and reveals more marks on the ground. It's a ghost trap. Ollie can't take his eyes away from it. He knows who took Alice. There's a soul catcher in York. At a bourgeois coffee shop, Charlie, Sam, Ollie and Heather take a booth. Sam orders Ollie a hot chocolate with cream and marshmallows, and Charlie sees the delight on his ghost friend's face and feels guilty for never thinking to do that, you know, since Ollie is a ghost and it would be weird to buy a drink with no one there to drink it. Ollie explains a soul catcher is a human who captures ghosts and keeps them as a trophy of a sort in a cabinet of curiosities and because ghosts can only interact with seers they are essentially forever trapped this is not good heather suggests they speak to the old souls aka the moldy ones the seven powerful old ghosts in york who form a sort of council if they call a soul moot they can warn the ghosts of york Meanwhile, it won't hurt for Charlie to look into the tour guide, but first, he needs to get home. His dad has been calling and is pissed. Charlie's dad picks him up and he has to face the gauntlet of both parents' anger and worry he wasn't where he said he was and that he's come home more busted up. Charlie tries to dismiss it all as a fall over the cobbles and a change of plans to meet a new friend, but it's a bitter lie. As his parents leave to pick his cousins up for a sleepover, Charlie comes out to his dad. His mum, already suspected, and his dad is totally fine and ready to kick any homophobes' asses if they've been giving his son a hard time. And we cheer because we love his parents. Yes, they're so good. As Charlie puts his twin sisters to bed, he gets a text from Sam reminding him about the tour guide research, which prompts Charlie to do it. The night goes on, Ollie returns home. Heather has gone to the mouldy ones to ask for a moot. 
Charlie can't sleep and at 4am his busybody neighbour Mr Broomwood knocks at his window asking why Heather is calling him moot and tells him the mouldy ones rejected it because Heather hasn't even been dead for that long. A young impertinent whippersnapper. Mr Broomwood then prattles on about vandals coming around like they did at the cemetery which sparks something in Charlie's mind and he finds the news footage of the vandalism and can clearly see red wax on the vandalised gravestone and the grass is killed off in a very familiar shape. Mm. On the pretense of going for a rubbing of a gravestone, Charlie heads to the cemetery with Ollie and Heather. They walk around the chapel and find a ghost trap burned into the grass beside the vandalized grave. Interestingly, neither Ollie nor Heather can get near the chapel. It's like there's an invisible force field blocking them. Suddenly, Charlie is attacked by a spirit with a rapier. It's George (laughs) Villiers, first Duke of Buckinghamshire. Former Lord Admiral of the King's Fleet, Knight of the Royal Garter, and the favourite of three kings. Three kings? I love him so much. Yes. 100%. (laughs) He demands to know what Charlie has done with Mistress Nightingale. Villiers was instructed by Audrey to watch the chapel, and he's done so diligently between visits to see James Reed the Piper. (laughs) When James missed their arranged meeting, Villiers returned to the cemetery and saw Audrey facing the shadow man. Then, suddenly, she was gone. (gasps) He also saw the shadow man go inside the chapel with something he didn't come back out with. Villiers pledges his assistance to help Charlie find the shadow man. He's doubly invested with Audrey being taken and James also being a victim of the shadow man. As Charlie heads out the cemetery, he sends a text to Sam. The reply is quick, with an address and a time. Sam's house is in the posh end of town, and it's swanky. Sam's father answers the door and seems surprised there was somewhere there to visit Sam. Sam isn't home at the moment, but should be back soon, so Charlie is invited in. Charlie snoops at the family photos and sees a strong familial resemblance. Thankfully, Sam comes home as the conversation about family business and Mr. Harrow asking what happened to Charlie's leg wasn't awkward at all. When they're alone, Charlie is standoffish with Sam despite needing Sam's help to dispel the ghost trap. Charlie claims it's because Sam isn't being 100% honest, like, you know, telling Charlie he's trans. But really, Charlie is being a tosser for no reason. Ollie scoots out the house to Heather and Villas outside because awkward, only to stick his head through the door a second later to relay that Heather and Villas have gone off to the Minster to see the mouldy ones. Villas is older than some of them and also a witness, so Heather thinks they have a better chance to call a moot. Charlie, Sam and Ollie race after them. By the time they get to the Minster, Heather and Villiers are already in the Undercroft meeting with the Mouldy Ones. Lady Alice Peckett, Sir Gosselin Danville, Earl Henry Percy, St. Margaret Clitheroe, Inga of Jorvik, King Ale, and Emperor Septimus Severus comprise the Old Souls, pompous asses lording over York's ghosts. 
They refused to listen to Heather, and only Villiers' flirting and peacocking ways seems to get through to them. However, they still don't take the threat seriously and say that only Henry Percy will look into it. Yeah, right. Before Charlie and Sam can eavesdrop further or hear the threats directed at Heather, they're asked to move on from sitting on the floor by the grate overlooking the undercroft and meet up with Heather and Villiers outside. Sam says he'll look into the curse or spell stopping ghosts from entering the cemetery chapel, and Charlie agrees to look further at their number one suspect, the tour guide, Peter Raleigh. That night, Charlie dreams of the St. Lowe death loop, except this time he sees Sam's face in place of one of the people asking if he solved it. When he wakes, he's frustrated by Audrey's cryptic clue, Capital of Ruins. His phone call later with Sam is equally frustrating. He's no closer to breaking the magic surrounding the chapel. They'll have to do it the old-fashioned way and break in at midnight. Sam is late to meet Charlie, which has made him edgy and nervous. Regardless, they sneak into the cemetery and, with the help of Ollie, Heather and Villiers, make their way to the pitch dark to the chapel. It takes a few minutes, but Charlie is able to pick the padlock, securing the chapel thanks to Villiers' instructions and a couple of his mum's hairpins. Inside, nothing looks out of the ordinary. It's just a regular tomb. Sam breaks out his herbs to cleanse the space in case that will help, but the smoke actually reveals an opening in the wall between two columns of tombs. Using Charlie's crowbar, because of course he's going to bring a crowbar to break in, they try to open the gap, but it doesn't work. As Charlie is leaning against the wall, a name pops into his head, Rachel. And when he whispers it, gears grind and a stairway down is revealed in a proper Indiana Jones style. It's cool. Amazing. At the bottom of the twisty narrow stairs, it looks like a musty old laboratory with equipment covered in dust, a horrible smell, and an old corpse swinging in the corner. Charlie recognizes the place from the hanged man death loop. Searching around, he finds a pair of spectacles Raleigh also wears, and putting them on, he's able to see patterns all over the walls. Sam looks through and recognizes them as faded ghost marks. Charlie puts the glasses in his pocket. Then, after a bit more digging, Sam finds a bottle sealed with thick red wax. Inside is a writhing, fleshy mass with lots of teeth, bloodshot eyes, and clawing hands. The magic barrier wasn't keeping ghosts out. It was meant to keep them in. Ooh! I love the bottle so much, especially when there's teeth inside, because everyone knows how I feel about that. <laughs> it's amazing! I want to make one. As Charlie takes a wary step back, glass crunches underfoot. Uh, there was more than one ghost bottle. Oh, damn it. Suddenly, a tall nun emerges through the wall by the stairs, and she's ugly and full of teeth and hungry. Oh, I, I love mean, her. The fact it's a nun alone is terrifying, but adding in the teeth and the anger so and the, the, the ugly visage. It's so good. I can see the cosplay. Ah. This is Agnes, the nun who Ollie told him was bricked up for getting pregnant, apparently caught by an older ghost catcher. Agnes is a hungry one. She lunges towards Sam, who is holding the other ghost bottle. He drops it, and it smashes on the ground, 
freeing another hungry ghost inside. Damn it. This one has a big coat, a bowler hat, and is vicious. He's also able to move objects in the room, flinging them at Charlie and Sam. They need to get the hell out. Uh, yeah, they do. God, so good. So good. It's a struggle to get to the stairs with debris flying at them, the table on fire, and Agnes snapping and clawing at them. Eventually, Charlie and Sam make it upstairs and out. Sam foolishly turning to close the chapel doors, which gives Bowler Hat a chance to grab him and bite. Charlie struggles to free Sam from the teeth that are sharp and deep in his neck. But, you know, eyeballs are squishy. And Charlie digs his thumb into Bowler Hat's eye socket. Together, Charlie and Sam limp over the ghost trap line to Heather, Ollie, and Villiers. Their ghostly companions tell the hungry ones to piss off because Charlie and Sam are protected by the city ghosts. It somehow works. <laughs> Heather examines Sam and determines he needs a hospital, which he refuses. As they try to catch their breath and stop Sam's bleeding, they're caught in a flashlight beam. It's Leonie and Mitch. <gasps> Leonie and Mitch saw Charlie and Sam break into the cemetery because Leonie lives on the same street. They've noticed Charlie acting weird lately. They know something strange happened at the sports pavilion and they want to make sure he's all right. With their help and the help of Heather, Ollie and Villiers, they make it to Leonie's thankfully empty house before the fire department and police can arrive to deal with the chapel, which, thanks to the strange abilities of the hungry ones, looks like a freaking tornado of debris. <laughs> Charlie and Sam interacting with the ghosts is weirding Leonie and Mitch out, but they're also going with the flow. Leonie gathers medical supplies so Charlie can clean and stitch Sam's wounds with Heather's instruction since he's refusing to go to the hospital. Before they can get started, the police hammer at the door and Leonie goes to deal with them while Charlie begins to stitch Sam. Sam is tough. Oh yeah. I cannot imagine... Being poorly stitched up, even though a ghost is assisting, and having to keep quiet. Uh, no, especially the neck. Are. Yeah. Oh. Ah. By the time Leone manages to get the police to leave, Charlie has finished stitching Sam, who, frankly, resembles the dead. Sam curls up in the bathtub as Leonie and Mitch demand answers, and Charlie tells them everything. It's a lot to take in, but Leonie and Mitch seem to, though Mitch finds it odd that Charlie never told him because they were best friends. Charlie thinks they could have been more, remembering their one kiss, but doesn't say it out loud. While Charlie resents them calling him crazy after seeing him dragged into the death loop at St. Lo, Leonie argues that they were kids who didn't understand what was happening and were pushed aside after. Mitch storms out, needing to calm down. Leonie gets bedding for Charlie so he can sleep on the bathroom floor after he declines a bed, preferring to stay with a now-sleeping Sam who's in the bathtub. Villiers offers to take watch while Heather and Ollie curl up with Charlie. Charlie dreams about St. Law again and is woken from the nightmare by Sam. Heather and Ollie are at the cemetery to find out what's going on and Villiers is on watch outside. 
This gives Charlie and Sam a chance to talk. Sam tells Charlie he died after falling into a lake at his family's villa in Italy. Unfortunately, his friend Lucy died, and one day he'll go back and see if her ghost is there. Sam's parents know he can see ghosts. His mum is absolutely thrilled. She loves spiritualism and the paranormal. And his father, well, he indulges his wife. They moved up from Surrey as things were getting difficult at school for Sam being the only trans gay boy at an all-girls school. He thinks York is much better, even with the missing ghosts and soul catcher. Charlie is thrilled to hear Sam's gear and wants to desperately hold his hand. Do it! Do it! Do it! Oh my gosh! And to kiss him! Do oh it! Oh my gosh, do it! But after the Mitch incident, he's wary, so he pulls away. Sam also reveals he can feel death loops, so knows to avoid them. And maybe if Charlie learned to open up, he could too. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> the guessing is important too. As Charlie tries to fix his prosthesis, Mitch makes breakfast, and Sam and Leonie postulate as to what the heck is going on. Bowler Hat Ghost shouldn't have been able to move things, though Heather and Ollie report his power is greatly diminished now. They also report that the police found the hanged man and are opening an investigation. Over some excellently cooked eggs, thank you Mitch, Charlie shows them the glasses. Leonie tries them on and can see Heather, Ollie, and Villiers, as can Mitch when he tries them on. This will help them follow Rowley, who they need to watch to find out if he really is the Shadow Man. Time to go on a ghost tour. Tell me in. Four alive and three dead friends head to the Golden Fleece pub at the bottom of the shambles, where Raleigh's ghost tours begin. No booking needed. Unfortunately, it's been cancelled because he's had to visit his sister in Harrogate. The group sit for a drink. Leonie and Mitch use the glasses to look at all the ghosts inhabiting the pub before Leonie goes for a sweep of the ghost traps and reports back there are none. As they talk about Raleigh, they're approached by a chancer looking to score Raleigh's business, but he's chased off by a heavyset man who tells them to find someone else. Very suspicious. Another suspicious thing is a man with a crew cut clearly listening in on their conversation. Leonie subtly checks him out and recognises him as one of the police officers she lied to for 20 minutes last night. Suddenly, a ghost comes through the wall. He has silver eyes, long red painted nails, looks directly at Charlie and seems to actually touch the bar. It's the ghost who spooked him in the kitchen. <laughs> he then sashes out, touching crew cut on the way. It's time to leave. As they do, crew cut warns Charlie to tread carefully and then flashes a tattoo on his wrist of an old style illustrated flaming torch. Outside, Charlie tells them about the encounter. Meanwhile, Sam has called Miri, his hacker friend, who insists on meeting Team Spectre over a video call before sending Sam Rowley's address in a text and instructions on how to get an IP address so she can do further snooping on Rowley, who, at the moment, is virtually... He's very boring. The plan to get inside Rowley's house is pretty weak. Leonie and Mitch will pose as volunteers, collecting for the cemetery chapel rebuild. Mitch will ask to use the bathroom and unlock the back door for Charlie and Sam, while Leonie distracts Rowley. 
As Charlie and Sam snoop around Raleigh's looking for ghost catcher evidence, Mitch will get the IP address. Well, there's no answer at Raleigh's house, so Charlie picks the lock. They get the IP address without incident, and then they find Raleigh's dead body with a caved-in skull in the kitchen with his ghost. Raleigh is, well, was a ghost catcher until his untimely murder, but he explains he doesn't go after the good ghosts of York, just the dangerous ones. He was offered a job recently via anonymous email, but turned it down. The job was to collect 16 souls of York's famous dead. The job was picked up by Caleb Gates, an amateur ghost catcher Raleigh has known for years, who also happens to be the one who murdered him. While they're talking to Raleigh, Villiers slets out a colourful string of curses. He's been caught in a ghost trap between the living room and the office. Damn it. <laughs> he uses stronger terminology than that. <laughs> Raleigh warns Team Spectre that Gates will have alarmed the trap and be on his way. And since they don't have an appropriate ghost bottle to free Villiers, Raleigh instructs them to grab one of his books. Practical phantomatology, which Leonie dives straight into. Meanwhile, Sam grabs the knife from Raleigh's coat for the blood they need to break the trap, as well as Raleigh's crypto lenses at the ghost's directive. Charlie, Sam, Leonie, and Mitch cut their fingers and draw the appropriate symbols as Villiers tries to step out. Raleigh grabs him and swaps places. As they're doing this, Gates walks past the front window and starts unlocking the front door. Raleigh tells them to sneak through the back and put protection symbols at all crossings and crossroads in York to protect the dead. Team Spectre are able to escape and get on the bus where they make plans to use Sam's kitchen to make the potion to paint the protection symbols. While this has been going on, Charlie's mom has been calling, but he missed the calls. When he's able to get in touch, He finds out his Aunt Chrissy, who is battling cancer, has taken a bad turn. Charlie's cousins are staying full-time in his house while the mom is in the hospital, and he helps it as much as he can before heading to Sam's house to help with the research, while Mitch makes the paint potion with Villiers entertaining him. Leone and Sam pour over practical phantomonology, Heather and Ollie are scoping the police station and following the investigation into the hangman. This goes on for days until Heather and Ollie return and announce the hangman's investigation has been closed because they can't identify him. Meanwhile, Leonie, being the genius she is, is sure she's worked out why the ghost catcher is going after the ghosts. The filled ghost bottles essentially act like a battery. Charlie has done some digging and found out that the hangman was actually Simon Tussle. His death loop keeps playing in Charlie's mind. He knows there's something he's missing or forgetting and he knows the only way he's going to find out is if he goes back in. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Charlie, Sam, Mitch, Heather and Villiers head out to the school sports pavilion. They look for Simon's death loop, but it's nowhere to be found. The only thing they do find is a black tourmaline stone with a mark carved in. Suddenly, Charlie remembers where he heard Simon's name before. Something that has been bugging him. Ophelia. Ophelia is a centuries-old ghost, but she's only been tethered the last 70 years. 
Simon Tussle died 70 years ago. They head to the pub and speak to Ophelia, and it turns out Charlie was right. Simon Tussle is her Simon, the man she's been pining and waiting for. When Ophelia demands to know where he is, Charlie tells her the city morgue, most likely. Not very tactfully. No. Ophelia denies this, and she, now untethered, storms out of the pub with Heather in hot pursuit. Villiers reports that Heather has been able to stop Ophelia on King's Landing, so Charlie, Sam, and Mitch head over. Ophelia looks different. She's no longer confused, but strong, confident, and angry. Ophelia demands Charlie release Simon from his death loop because it is what we seers are meant to do. Hang on a second. Ophelia was a seer too? She says if they're able to get the ghost to understand they are dead, the death loop will be broken. Charlie shows her the black tourmaline stone, and Ophelia is familiar with it and says it's a grounding stone. So Simon must be a prisoner of the ghost catcher. Ophelia also tells them about Simon's daughter, Rachel, who was looking for a way to give Ophelia a physical presence so that she and Simon could be together using mathematics and phantomatic engineering. When she was recruited to the war effort, she continued her work and found a way of looping trapped souls together, which boosted their energy. She used the souls of allied soldiers and repeatedly sent them out, supercharged and effectively poltergeists with their power. Charlie remembers the Sentinel Deathloop and Rachel's letters to her father were filled with her research and that she was killed for them. Saunders, the man who killed her, did so trying to get the secret from her. Ophelia recognises the name as another ghost catcher and the man that came to York looking for Simon. Suddenly, Sam has something to do. But as he's walking off, Charlie catches up with him and reassures him about the death loops. Sam then kisses Charlie and Charlie is ecstatic and kisses Sam back and we all cheer finally after Sam rides away on Leone's bike moldy oldie Earl Henry Percy appears he sneers and mocks Charlie before telling him Heather had a hand in him being a seer uh what creepy, horrible guy. Say what? Heather doesn't deny it. She did try to tell him a million times, but Charlie shuts down difficult conversations when he doesn't want to talk. Heather was on call the night he was brought in. She was running on four hours sleep at best and diagnosed him with flu, not meningitis. When he was brought back in by his nan, the infection had too great a hold. Heather wasn't allowed to treat him. Instead, she was sent home and was murdered in the car park on her way out. And she's been with him ever since. That is bad luck. It's brutal. She made him a seer, and it's the one decision she's ever made she would never change. She has no regrets. It was deliberate. Though there's clearly more to the story, Charlie gets mad and kicks her out, and Ollie too, as it's plain he knew. For the first time in a long time, Charlie is totally alone. And he hates it. Just lets the tears come. In the morning, 
Charlie wakes up alone. He has a text from Sam who tells him to let Mary know he's going to make everything all right and promises to take Charlie on a proper date if he survives. Oh. This is a small caveat. Caveat. Small one. I mean, it's fair. Moments later, Mary calls wanting to speak to Sam. Charlie tells her about the text, and reluctantly, Mary tells Charlie she found out where the emails wanting 16 ghosts came from. A company, S&H Systems, Saunders, and Harrow. Oh, no. Oh, Harrow like like Sam Harrow? It's not oh. popular name. Hopefully it's a very popular name. In Charlie's dreams of the St. Lowe death loop, he thought he was projecting Sam's face onto one of the players. He wasn't. It's Sam's grandfather, who Sam looks exactly like. And in addition to this, Mr. Harrow is continuing his father's work. He saw Villiers in the kitchen next to Mitch when they were making the paint potion because he's made CryptoLens contact lenses. And Sam is going to stop him. Charlie needs to find Sam, but first he has to escape the police. Officer Crookut, a.k.a. Caleb Gates, is in his house right now wanting to speak to Charlie about a dead body. Luckily, Charlie has sisters and cousins to warn him and run interference so he can escape the fake policeman, slashes tyres at their suggestion as he flees. (laughs) The little rascals. Mr. Broomwood cheering him on all the way. Charlie spots another neighbour, Mrs. Ginty, alive this time, getting into her car, so he climbs into the passenger seat, begging her to drive. At first, Mrs. Ginty is scared because Gates has stormed out of the Frith house toward them, and Charlie is, frankly, being weird. When the Silver Eyes appears and tries to drag Charlie out of the car, scratching his face, Mr. Broomwood pulls Charlie back inside. Charlie gives Mrs. Ginty the elevated picture of events, and she peels away. In the review, Gates holds Red Neil's back from following. Gates is a seer. <gasps> Diamond doesn't in York, aren't there? Look, it's really haunted. Okay, there's bound to be <laughs> a handful of seers haunted. floating around. As they drive, Mitch calls. Last night, the Shadow Man got Leonie, beat her up badly, and now she's in the hospital. He also stole the book and got rid of the paint potion. Mitch is with Leone, as is Villiers. Charlie tells him how Mr. Harrow is behind it all, so they can't trust Sam right now. Leone comes on the phone and tells Charlie that the Shadow Man has Heather and Ollie. No! Charlie tells Mrs. Ginty to stop the car and he throws himself out and Mr. Broomwood follows. I'm sure he could have stepped out. I really feel like he could have just stepped nope. out. No. There is only one thing for him to do now, apart from, you know, get road rash. Go see the mouldy oldies and sell his soul to get help. At the Minster, Charlie enters the chapter house where the mouldy oldies have congregated at the behest of Henry Percy. The Emperor is willing to make a deal 
Uh, but it isn't for a servant. He wants to possess Charlie's body. Nah, mm-hmm. dog. Nah, nah, dog. No way. The baldy oldies start pawing and scratching at Charlie. Clearly, hungry ones. As the Emperor tries to literally push himself into Charlie, Mm-mm. it suddenly hits Charlie what Heather said about her choice to make him a seer being deliberate. They died at the same time, but his infection was so far along he should not have survived. But Heather could have lived from her stab wound. She gave her life to save him. Lucy gave her life to save Sam. I have literal chills at the thought. Yeah. Henry Percy demands that other mouldy oldies stop. And he reveals he has a friend in York. Just as the ghost trap closes in on them all. Henry Percy's friend is the Shadow Man, who just so happens to be walking in with excellent timing. Except, Caleb Gates, the Shadow Man, isn't crew cut. It's the heavy set man from the pub. Ah, twist! Henry Percy boasts about a deal they have. He shall be made physical once again with Rachel's theorem, except Percy is also in the ghost trap and Gates places an empty ghost bottle under him too <laughs> as the moldy oldies scream Charlie tries to escape but the way is locked and Gates is approaching and the dead of York try to help but can't Gates bustles Charlie out of the minster and into a car. His eyes closed and his hands zip-tied the whole time. But he recognizes their destination. Sam's house. For some reason, Gates steals the picture of seniors Harrow and Saunders as they pass. Clearly, Mr. Harrow has been waiting for them, sitting like a Bond villain in a lab coat and a throne-like sofa chair. He's unbothered that Charlie is being dragged along and will be sacrificed to splice the trapped souls together. Sam enters. He looks beaten, bruised, and tired with bandages covering his arms. Sam agreed to do the splicing if his father agreed to leave his friends alone, but clearly Mr. Harrow is not a man of his word. He cares only about the family business and money. He's also not long for the world of the living as Gates renegotiates his contract by pulling a gun and shooting Mr. Harrow's jaw off and capturing his ghost. Charlie and Sam are understandably shocked. Gates then orders both boys to follow. You know the bit in Frighteners where the judge, his jaw keeps falling off? Yeah. That's exactly what was going in my yeah. head. Thank you, thank you. I knew it would be, I knew it would be. <laughs> Together they head to an elevator and down into a laboratory lined with ghost bottles and Simon and Rachel's death loops spliced together in a copper frame in the middle. It's horrible and terrible and frankly scary as hell. Gates refuses to let Charlie go, while Sam will continue splicing, allowing Charlie to witness the greatest advancement in math magics in centuries. Ah, no. Also, he needs a backup seer. Gates is clearly determined. He's driven by revenge and the certain righteousness that comes with delusion. Gates tells Charlie he is a Saunders through and through, despite his surname. 
HNS Systems should be his company. The ghost research is his legacy. It was his grandfather who was the brains, and he is a visionary. Gates uses his blood to activate the ghost trap and opens the bottle containing St. Margaret's ghost. The screaming is agony and the buzzing intense. Sixteen souls have their death loops tied together inside the copper trap. It's grotesque. Gates strips his coat, shirt, and bandolier off and starts to carve symbols into his chest. He starts to harness the poltergeist power generated from the horrific trap and with a twitch of his fingers breaks Sam's zip ties and order him to complete the work. Sam, who looks ripped, torn, and bloody, having lived through 16 death loops, steps forward and, regardless of Charlie's protests, enters the copper trap. A seer is needed to stabilize it, or they will lose the trapped souls forever. And Sam won't let Charlie do it. Before Sam can step in, Silver Eyes pushes him back. Villiers, Dante, and Mr. Broomwood, Ophelia, and a very pissed off Mrs. Tulliver, the ghostly pub landlady, enter. Then, out of the elevator, steps Crewcut. Crewcut, who is actually Jan Liska, a member of the Hand, and Silver Eyes called Dusan, is his partner. They have come to stop Gates, and Charlie's ghostly friends are helping. Liska orders Charlie and Sam to leave as Dusan seemingly possesses Liska's body and they fight as one against supercharged gates. And it's absolutely freaking amazing how they work together. Yeah, it's very intense. With the help of their ghostly friends, Charlie and Sam head to the elevator, but Charlie realises that Liska slash Dusan intend to stop gates and the trap, but not save the trapped souls. No! Sorry. Charlie needs to free them and remembering what Ophelia said he needs to go into their death loops and remind them who they are and that they are dead telling Sam to ground him as he frees the souls Charlie tries to enter the trap Dusan attempts to stop them but Villiers and the other ghosts keep Dusan back as Liska fights Gates alone as Charlie steps in Gates cheers in triumph no no we do not want that it takes a few moments in Sam's bracing presence to calm Charlie down as he is pushed and pulled between the different death loops. Once he is able to assert himself, Charlie looks for Rachel, or as he's always known her, Audrey. Oh! Charlie reminds Rachel slash Audrey who she is, how they met, and that she is dead. Rachel slash Audrey is able to pull herself from her loop and the other souls gather around and Charlie tells them that they're dead, gripping each other and holding on to the seers. Together, most force their way through the multi-loop trap. Along with Mr. Harrow, most of the moldy oldies stay behind. In the corner, Liska's corpse lies, his spirit clinging on to descent. Power surges into Gates, lifting him from the ground. The spirits inside writhing. Simon, Rachel, Ophelia and Rowley move to take on Gates. Liska and Sam rise to the fight. It's all too much and Gates explodes, the power wave causing the lab to start to crumble. 
Heather, Ollie and the other formerly trapped ghosts have poltergeist abilities and use them to protect the seers and get them out of the basement. But Sam's house is crumbling and nearly burying them. It's taking too much power to keep Charlie and Sam in the air pocket and stop them from being crushed. But the ghosts of York have other ideas, as they've come to give Heather, Ollie and the other poltergeist-powered souls the energy to keep Sam and Charlie safe. Oh. Charlie wakes up in the hospital to see his twin sisters. Heather comes in and apologises to Charlie, and Charlie apologises to her. Sam is in a private room down the ward. He's pretty beaten up and dealing with losing his father twice. The official story is that a slow gas leak met a flame taking out the Harrow household and taking the lives of Mr. Harrow, Gates, and a John Doe. The ghosts of York have gathered at the hospital, Ollie and Dante keeping them out of Charlie's room. It isn't until later, when Charlie stumbles his way to see Sam, with Mitch and Leonie's help, that he truly understands the deference the ghosts of York give him as they line the hall, gently stroking his hands and bowing to him. A living nurse tries to stop Charlie from seeing Sam, but Sam shouts through that Charlie is his secret boyfriend, so it's okay. Sam's mom wants to take him to Florence, where there is a good school and gender clinic. Charlie is willing to let Sam go if that's what he wants and needs. But Sam isn't going anywhere. Sam wants to help protect the ghosts of York, find the hand, and get some answers. Besides, he needs to take Charlie on that date. Uh, That preferably doesn't involve breaking into ecclesiastical properties. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I mean, to be fair, it sounds like a good time to me. So, <laughs> Take a picnic. It's so precious. I can't wait to pick up 12 bones and like, hopefully we just move right in and they're just going on their date. And that's the first scene because I just need to just pick it right up and move on. And yes. they need to go on a date and I need to see it. I, I, I'm I having to force myself not to pick it up. I have your copy. Thank you. Um, it is off to one side with other stuff. Um, but I'm having to force myself not to open it and just be like, oh, yeah. I need to know we had, more. We had to get this discussion out of the way because as we have encountered in the past, it's hard to not talk about what comes next in the next book. So. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I, I mean, imagine trying to do fourth wing now that Iron Flames is out. You just couldn't, could you? No, no. It, you have no. to. It, so it, it is quite nice when we can work a series along without prior influence. Yes, but I'm sorry, we're talking and chatting here. We are, but we need to pause for Let's a moment. Have a pause. Listen to this promo from another show. Yes. Don't then break come into back. any cemetery trap. And then we'll talk about it. it. Right. Yeah, don't do that. Unless it's for a date. Yes. Then, then you fully, can. Fully, fully spot. Yeah. Have you ever read a book and thought, wow, I would love to see this on the screen? Well, the Adapting Podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Emily Malik, host of the Adapting Podcast. And with a guest every episode, we take a look at books that have never been adapted, why that's so, and how we would go about translating it to a different medium. We talk about any novel from the serious to the downright silly, as long as it hasn't had an adaptation. 
So come and take a listen to the Adopted Podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. So, yes. as we begin our discussion, you mentioned that there are differences between yes. the physical book and the ebook that I have access to in the United States. Yes. And then we talked at the beginning, and you were like, well, I didn't, you know, actually take note of any of them. I just know that it's different. I've got three examples I've managed to okay. find as we were doing the summary. I, I was trying to do some multitask. There is another okay. one that I remembered because I put the word in the summary. Um, it's not um, plot-wise, but it's certainly tonal. And I'm going to refer to a tweet I saw today when I actually went on Twitter um, that Rosie was tagged in and it's by at Venn's underscore corner reviews um, so they look like a, a YouTube books, books um, booktube person mm-hmm. and the tweet says 16 sourced by Meryl Child manages to ca- Meryl Child is Rosie's uh, tag people go and follow her mm-hmm. uh, manages to capture the voice and sound of the people where it's based, York United Kingdom in a way that many books don't quite manage my thoughts are linked below. Looking forward to reading Twelve Bones. And I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking when I kind of was like, you can't call the ebook excessively British. I mean, it is, but it's been Americanized, and it does strip some of the British teen language away. He refers to the police sometimes as Rosses. Um, there was another one where uh, tip of a cigarette it's tip of a ciggy in the book mm-hmm. it's slang terms um, another time I'll go in Sam this is what the, the ebook says I'll go in Sam, stop you git I'll do it but he actually just swears in it he's like I'll go in um, and f- uh, f- bloody hell Sam or fucking Sam or something like that he, he curses a bit um, or there's another one that's, um, but it's really none of their damn business. In in the book, it's it's none of their fucking business. Ah, oh. so it's a lot to do with the cursing and slang terminology. And I, I only reason I know this is because I was as I was doing the summary, I was reading a chapter summarizing, reading a chapter summarizing, mm-hmm. and then I got to part way down, and there was something happened, and I was like, oh shoot, I forgot to add that into the summary made a note of it and I thought I, I can see the ebook is available on the library I will pop into the ebook do a quick search because it's easy to find it that way sure. and I'll be able to get the information correctly that I'm looking for you know simple research and I went hang on what the hell is this and I was offended to my soul I was mortally offended to my soul that the slang terminology and the cursing has been changed. I don't was, like that either. I didn't know. I'm sorry then that I only read the ebook. There's part there was one and where the Americanized version says it sucks, but it's not that in the book. And I, I was trying to find that example and I'm really annoyed that I didn't start writing them down because I was like I think in my anger I was like, I can't look at it. I just can't look at it. <sighs> That's a shame. But it's um 
it, it, do, he doesn't say sucks and it just the sentence is feels wrong it feels like it's an American teenager not a Yorkshire lad or even just like you know British teenager and I just it really seemed to strip it down and loses some of the integral Britishness that is Charlie the Yorkshire that's a shame that's a shame it, it was quite upsetting and do you know <laughs> I ranted my poor husband's ears were bleeding <laughs> because uh, uh, the example I gave um, was Julia Quinn of Bridgerton fame mm-hmm. now I love Julia Quinn and I have got all of her books mm-hmm. hipster style loved her before she was you know sure. as famous as she is now but she writes Regency books set in Britain but when I read the books the spelling is American there's no use in favourite etc etc but she's writing them in Britain but when it's a British book for an American audience it gets Americanized. and a prime example for me is the Holly Jackson Good Girl's Guide to Murder books yes and that they got so Americanized that I got changed to being in America. Yes. I remember um, when we first started talking about that episode, we were like, okay, this is completely different. Yeah. So it kind of annoyed me that as a British person, I can't read a British... You, you're not, as an American, getting a very true reflection of what the British book would be, what the Yorkshire in this case should be. Well, and I didn't like that. I thought that's it's a bit sad and it's not fair and it's not right. Well, I hope that you will have noticed, even though I did make some changes in the summary because that's what I do. I have to go and add fucking commas to everything because she I don't loves know how commas. to read. Loves I do. commas. You will notice that I didn't change the spellings. I, I was waiting for the mold. I, I purposely kept the moldy oldies with the U, and I, I'm going to see if she changes them. <laughs> I was like, I'm not I changing didn't. them. I'm spelling them the British way because it's a British book set in Britain. I did. I did change one thing. I changed the punctuation with the titles, like Mister Doctor. Mrs. Whatever. I did add a period after those because I had to. That's fine. That's but I didn't change the spellings this time. No, no, it's and fine. I thought it, you would be proud. I am. It, it make it that that repairs some of the wounds of my soul. Yeah. And I know it might just be a silly thing, but when I saw that tweet this morning, and it literally was this morning, I saw it. It was posted. I saw it this morning, but it was posted on the 17th of November at 10.35. So, you know, but you know how Twitter feeds work. Yeah. Um, and I saw it because Rosie had retweeted it. And I went, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. I really get the sense of a, 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 a teen from the North who speaks, he says, Ro- I mean, I've never said Rosa. It sounds odd coming out of my mouth, but, you know, I'm not Charlie. And who tells people it's none of their fucking business. I, I am Charlie in that respect. Um, and you, Pillock is another thing. 
There's not enough pel- there, there are no pillocks in the ebook, and there's a lot of picket pillars. Pillocks. There's tosser, um, shite with the e on the end. Mm-hmm. And do you know what reminded me of is um, the PC cast and Kristen cast um, duology, the Sisters of Salem. Oh yeah, that no, there's three of those. Was it three? I thought. Was, oh, I'm thinking of Into the Mrs. Geology, the, yeah. the, the, the the trilogy. Um, yeah, but there's the one sister who uses British, British words all the time. And I'm like, well, where's she getting them from? Because she's not. She, it made me think of her because I was like, where's the American teens getting the British Britishisms from? I mean, Doctor Who, fine, but I don't think she's a Doctor Who fan. So if she was, but she would pick up this book. I, th- I, I can imagine. PC casts characters picking up 16 souls and enjoying them because you know there's queer and trans representation there's uh-huh. magic you know uh-huh. there's ghosts I can imagine them picking them up and I can imagine and I can't remember their names the, but the one sister who liked the Britishisms and uh-huh. be like oh my god I'm going to start calling the police the Rosses yeah this is where she's getting it from uh-huh. oh my god I want to use Tosser all the time you are a pillock um, that guy is a chancer and it's just not there, and it makes me a bit sad. I'm sorry. So that's and my I hate rant. That. I hate uh, that, but that's at least her book. All the delicious words taken out was published yes. everywhere. Yes. So the U.S. fans of the show will have a chance to get it from their local libraries. Yes. Because a lot of times when we cover these books. The UK ones, the only way I have them is because you sent them to me or because I bought them, you know, from Waterstones and had them sent over because they just were not able to get them here. So at least with this one, we are. Yes. And I'm very pleased that that is there. So... Any, any if if and if you go to Rosie's website, you can find like book club information to help you read, you know, if, for for these books. Mm-hmm. So if some listener is sitting there and thinking, oh, actually, oh, do I want to read this book anymore? I mean, I'm American. I'm not getting the essential. Bri-. Read it, honestly, read it. Because I mean, it's so good, and it's I, not like they change the story. It doesn't change the story. I'm just being a pedantic nitpicker about it. I'm being a wazzock. I'm being a bit of a pillock, but it's just because I, I enjoyed those aspects so much, yeah. and I was like so happy that you were going to get it. And then you said you were reading the ebook. I was like, oh, fair enough. But then when I went, ah, no, she's not getting me. She's gonna, she's missing out. You're gonna, you're gonna love being people being called a tosser. Um, but I would have loved you, that exactly. But if you are an American and you do read it, please, you know, please read it. I'm not telling you not to read it. Do read it. Um, and just throw in some random insults that you know as well instead because you know why the heck not make yes. it colloquial throw in some colloquialisms yes. it'll, and you'll enjoy it um, and unless you have a British friend you're not going to know Yeah. so I'm sorry <laughs> for my rant um, but yeah and it was just when I saw that tweet this morning it really kind of reminded me you know yes it's nice that the Yorkshire lads get the get their dues well now that that rant is over with yes can we talk about the actual book 
like what the story excuse me can we talk about the actual story yeah i i freaking adored this book more than i was expecting to i just i didn't think i was gonna like charlie as much as i did because and i'm sorry that i don't know the word but the way that he is described versus how Sam is described and like his outfits and his tracksuits and his hats. Like he's the guy. He's the guy from Hot Fuzz who pulls his hat down low because he's fuck ugly and he's stealing biscuits from the shop. He's that guy. He's a chava. There it is. There's the word that I can't remember, but we've talked about in multiple episodes. He is, isn't he? Yes. And especially with the language as well. It's the kind of language a a child would use. Wears tracksuits, chains, has, you know, quote-unquote, the common tongue. Complete antithesis of what Sam is. He's a child. I know. Sam is like... Sam's slumming it. Sam's wearing an ascot. (laughs) He turns up in a cravat. To, 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 yes, uh, excuse me. He's wearing a cravat and he's got on, you know, spats. And he's got a hat and he's very dapper and dandy. His, ha- his and family handsome. has a villa in Italy. Yes. And he's hanging out with this chav in a tracksuit. Yeah. The term is slumming it. He's slumming it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all I could think of the whole time. I was like, oh, he's that guy who pulls his hat down low because he's fuck ugly. (laughs) That's all I kept thinking of the whole time. His tracksuit in my mind is purple. Sorry. Yes. No, no. I'm I'm all for that. I am all for that. Uh, It was, I don't know, it was just such a familiar feeling with the characters as well. It was comfortable. It was weird. I don't know. I just really, I really felt really comfortable with this book. I was really enjoying it. And I probably would have got through it in one sitting if I wasn't stopping every, the end of every chapter. I just yeah. really enjoyed it. Um, I like the fact that... And then that you were you destroyed kind of, by the ebook. Yeah. But I do kind of like the fact that you've linked it to Hot Foots because it's kind of that kind of feeling where it's just this... I mean, York is the city, but you get a very small town vibes when you're in just the very old section. And, you know, we're in the same locations all the way through. So you do kind of get a sort of hot fuzz feel of it, especially with Mr. Broomwood neighbourhood watch and he's just concerned about his roses and he can't believe his grandson's got these tenants who aren't taking care of his garden. Oh, Mr. Broomwood, who ends up helping to save the day. Ah, so good. Oh, honestly. Um, and I would like to point out, I've been in the Golden Fleece pub. It is freaking tiny. It is as wide as, it's not even as wide as a house. It's, you can Google image it. It's literally at the bottom of the shambles. And Google image the shambles. It's fantastic. Um, and no ghost hunt would be allowed to start on the inside. Just saying. It's too small. <laughs> you can start outside, but you wouldn't start inside. It's too small. I love that all of these places are real. Because there's a lot of times where authors will like, yes, the city is real, but this place is completely made up and this place is completely made up. But it is like likely that it could something like that could happen. But if everyone will go and surprise, listen to the bonus episode, you know that Rosie put a lot of effort 
and and research into her places and everything that she did here. So that's just fun. And then you saying that, oh, yeah, you can't do that. That's not going to happen. Oh, no. This place and is only this big. Like, that's really cute. I love it. I took a picture of one of the the, 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 the journeys that Charlie takes. Like, I took a picture of her. And I was going to send it to you just with me scrolled all over. I know this route. I've been here. And I wish I knew where the pictures were. But, like, I have taken pictures of Mad Alice Lane, like Lund Court, former Mad Alice Lane, because it is my favourite street name in the entirety history of the world. And, you know, I've got photographs from the Shambles and the Golden Fleece pub and the Minster. And I have climbed to the top of the Minster, not for a long, long time, but I nearly died. Oh, my God. Oh, honestly, nearly killed me. Um, you know, regularly just knowing. Like, I'm even convinced I could take you to the coffee shop, the bourgeois coffee shop. I, I feel and... like it's just so well described and so correct to the city. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Yeah, I love it. <sighs> anyway. Anyway. I really enjoyed the fact that it's heavy leaning towards the magic being science. Well, it's mathematics. Math magics. I mean, come on, that's amazing. I loved it. I just, I love that aspect because you know, whoever said that magic is just hasn't been explained by science. Yeah. And every, I am t- the way a TV works is magic because I don't know. I couldn't explain how TV works. Sure. I don't even know the, ma- the the logistics of how we're having this conversation over Zoom right now, and I can see right. you. Yes. So it's magic. It's magic. It's wonderful. But yes. to actually have this grounded in this idea of of science, it's bold because it's difficult to not just you know like when you're watching star trek or something or just any kind of sci-fi program or a video game or whatever and one character just spouts off a load of nonsense and you're like they're just words they're just somebody's opened up a science book and just copied down a load of words to make it sound like science it could easily fall into that territory of trying to be too scientific and making a gobbledygook I didn't feel gobbledygooky at all. But I didn't, no. No. And I'm glad you got the 13 Ghosts feel from Harold's basement as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, having to gather all of them together in one place was just like, oh, the 13 Ghosts! It's 13 Ghosts! I love it! (laughs) That was amazing. Um, Can I ask? You know what? I can imagine you doing a fantastic Agnes, by the way, cosplay. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that very easy because I, I can't imagine I having like actual eyeballs, just more like dark holes. Yes. And, like, oh, and that's one of my favorite things to do. Exactly, and just like the the ooze coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. love the ooze. I love to ooze. I love the ooze. You know, bowler hat. The the secondary hungry one that was in the chapel that gets released. Uh huh. And he's big and strong and scary and terrifying and. Well, I don't think that. He was I don't think that works. No. He was, okay. He was big. He was strong yeah. and scary, but he was so, very vicious and pointy. Yes, but 
And now you're just going to have to excuse the American ignorance over here. It can't have been Jack the Ripper. That's what I thought. Because it's not in the same place. I thought it could have been. Whitechapel isn't in York. No, Whitechapel is definitely in London. There's a few hundred miles difference. But no, I honestly thought, and I'm glad that you've come to that conclusion too, that Bowler Hat is Jack the Ripper. It, it, I don't. There's nothing. I don't know if I don't know if it's just the hat and the coat and the the viciousness. I mean, it, that is what it is, though, because anytime you think of Jack the Ripper, that's what you think about. Yeah, and also you know the murder of all the prostitutes, but that that's neither here nor there. No prostitute murder. Well, but he was in a ghost bottle. And there's nothing to say that the ghost bottle wasn't caught in Whitechapel or London or wherever. And it came to York. But then also, bear in mind, we don't know who the hell Jack the Ripper is. Nobody will ever know who Jack the Ripper is. Maybe he went home to York when he was done murdering prostitutes. Exactly. Exactly. We'll never know. So I was like, I'm glad you came to that conclusion. You seem to have had the same points as it with me, like that hot fuzz feel, 13 ghosts, um, Jack the Ripper, just every now and again going, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I also got another one that yes. I don't know that anybody will will have paid attention to or will even think about it, but just because of the way we're doing the show right now this month, our next book is Anna Dressed in Blood by Kendara Blake. And there's just, there's one line in the beginning of the book where Charlie is talking about how like, oh yeah, you know, to to do all this stuff, you don't need a knife to go after the ghost. And I was like, but that's what Kaz, that's what Kaz does in Anna Dressed in Blood. That's what he does. And like, that's his whole thing is that he has this knife that he goes after ghosts with. And I'm thinking like, did you do that on purpose? <gasps> Homages. Did you write? Did you write that in there because you love Kandara Blake as much as we do? Oh, we have questions that require answering. Yeah, and we just so happen to be talking to Rosie. Yeah, so don't let me forget to ask about that. No, well, I, I will write it down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm very, I'm very glad that you picked up on the ball hour. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> So many um, p- potential homages, potentially just us yes. loving it. Right. And, like, we, we haven't even talked about, like, anything that happens in the book. There's so many scenes that I really, really loved, like, Villiers going, like, spouting off in the background, like, how important he is and how everything he's done Freak. is amazing. And, like, <laughs> freaking... I just, I loved him so much. And then also he's like, oh, but then I went off with the piper and we've gone for it a while. And like, oh, things happened and now the piper's gone. And like, clearly he's over there in the corner making out with the piper. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that's happening in York. Oh, you know, maybe six will kissing. Yes. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> I want more of it. I, I I adored Heather and Ollie and I love Dante. I love Villiers as well. Yes, yes. I was so worried about Heather. 
Oh, yeah. I, I was, was afraid she was going to sacrifice herself. I was convinced. And she was going to be gone. Convinced that was going to happen. Absolutely yeah. convinced it was going to happen. Yeah. And I'm so glad it wasn't. And Ollie, the sickly waif. Oh, hello. <laughs> Ollie Shuttleworth, sickly waif. And he loves comics. And I hope, because I am genuinely worried about Charlie's GCSEs, which are his exams that he takes at 16, which, you know... Determines his future. Determines his f- immediate future. It determines if what colleges you get into or apprenticeships or jobs, because at that age, that's all they care about is what GCSEs have you got? What grade did you get in maths, English? Um, you know, obviously, the further along you, along you get down the academic line, the less important they become. But when you're 16, they're everything. And I am genuinely worried about his GCSEs. Okay. <laughs> Just make a note of that. That'll be something else that we can talk about. I will. <laughs> I will. Um, I, can we also talk about um, the families in this book a little bit? Yes. We have struggled in the past with, like, terrible families and terrible parents. And it's something that we hate. And also the lack of communication, which, Charlie, you need to fucking open your mouth a couple of times there, friend. Mm. But... That's something that we struggle with in YA fiction in particular. And in this one, it was like, oh, it's a good family. And he tells his dad that he's gay. And he's like, okay, is that who's beating you up? Do I need to go after anybody? By the way, your mom already suspected and it's fine. Like, I love love it so much. much. I love it so much. Families that care. I know. And also Sam. Sam, I was really worried um, when Charlie goes to Sam's house for the first time and we walk in and we see his dad and his dad's like this stodgy Bond villain sort of guy, which we find out later that he is a, a, a Bond villain. But I was just so worried because Sam wasn't there to immediately greet Charlie when he gets there that like he was going to say something gross and be like, oh, you're here to see my daughter or something disgusting like that. I was expecting racial slurs, to be honest. I'm so glad none of that happened. Like, you can be an evil villain, but also not a terrible person. I mean, he did start... No, I I agree completely that he... Oh, but then he did start talking about Charlie's legs, bless him. But then Sam came and it was fine. Yeah. That was that was not pretty gross. Cool. Yeah, but I love that even though he is a villain, he didn't say anything negative about Sam. No, respects his son's choices. Yeah, I was and, so worried. I was uh-huh. so worried when I was reading that chapter. Like, oh God, what's he gonna do? Yeah, he's gonna say something, and then Charlie's gonna be like panicked because charlie's not going to know how to respond and like am i do i need to be respectful with meeting my friend's father for the first time and like not correct him and like i spun out this whole story in my head but i didn't have to worry about it so it's fine i know that that the book does an excellent job of making you really really worried about these characters and like needing immediate gratification that your worries are unfounded Honestly. 
It's a really good book. It really is. It's so good. I'm pleasant. I say pleasantly blown away by it. I was expecting to enjoy it, but I've enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't care yeah. if it doesn't. It it does in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's so good all the way around. Yeah, and do you know what actually I enjoyed or at least appreciated was Charlie is just constantly thinking about that kiss with Mitch and worried about it and overly sore. Charlie's a very anxious boy. He is. Um, I think he could use some counselling. I think he could use some therapy and just to have a a kind, non-judgmental ear to be able to talk things out. Yeah. Um, but when Mitch, quite casually, as he's stirring the the paint pot, stock pot thing, yes. says, oh yeah, I told Leone that I've kissed a boy. She doesn't know it's you, but I think she knows, she assumes. Yeah. But she knows I have. And she's fine with it. And I'm with her. And then they had the conversation. He says, well, are you bi? And Mitch is like... I- I don't know and I'm not labelling it because I don't know yet and I um, I don't feel like I need to find out at the moment. Yeah. I'm just kind of living. <sighs> and Your I heart really melts. loved it because yeah, yeah, I mean, you're 16 years old and if you know, you know great, but if you're not sure but you're don't not you in any to force hurry it. to find out yeah, then don't force it. Live your life. Be, yeah. Don't be a garbage person. Right. And you'll get there in the end if you to whatever destination you need it to, you, you end up at. And I really like that. And I like the fact that Mitch, who at first for me came across as a bit of a boyish boy, laddish lad, very Charver style kind of thing, um, is actually probably more emotionally uh, mature than what Charlie is because he's yeah. able to acknowledge that they had the kiss Acknowledged that he wanted to have the kiss, that he enjoyed the kiss, but didn't necessarily need to go any further with Charlie. Yeah. I think it's one of these where you kind of have the kiss and realise actually the spark was in the anticipation and not in the in the relationship. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'd rather you be my friend yeah. than anything else. Yeah. Like that's more important. And it really frustrated me how Charlie's so stubborn and gets so into his head that he misread Mitch and Leone. He could have had those friends yeah. with him for so yeah. much longer. Yeah. But he pushed them away. But I'm glad and I hope when we read Twelve Bones that they're around and they're in the support of I mean Leone's gonna Surely. be because she's gonna be curious as all hell. Yeah. You know, Mitch might be off in a restaurant somewhere and he'll just pop in and make a delicious meal and then leave. I appreciated that about him, too. Then he's yes. like, oh, yeah, I'll mix up this potion. It's totally fine because I want to be a chef. Here, eat these delicious eggs, which I kind of cringed about a little bit on account of our last episode. Thank you, Mayfly. Episode. Yeah. Thank yes, you, yeah. Mayfly, for ruining yeah. eggs for us. I have made so many eggs this week for my child. <laughs> Scrambled <laughs> egg this morning was a, was was an interesting <laughs> undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. I like yeah. that. I like I don't know that there was a character in the book that I didn't 
like. Yeah, because even Which... characters like Gates, who you didn't like, that's a good thing. Yeah. I want to know more about Son and Liska and the Hand. And this yes, Miriam character me that we didn't mention in the summary, but it's in the book. Yes. I need to know more. Yes. Yes. And I've I got a suspicion that Twelve Bones isn't going to answer all these questions. But it's the end, isn't it? Just, it's just a duology, isn't it? Well, yeah, but... Does that mean it's going to be deliciously open-ended like we like? Yeah, could be. And then we can write our own stories, which we're so good at doing. Honestly, like, <laughs> it feels like it's been a while since we've written our... Fa- our like, well, I said written, but, you know, verbalised our fan fiction. I, know. I think we could go quite, quite in-depth with this one. I'm pretty sure we could. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, were you surprised by anything? Um, probably Mitch being emotionally mature. Oh yeah, in a pleasant way. Um, probably the the gate was that one guy in the pub that was a little bit weird, but was done in such a smart way of just being a potentially passing side person mm-hmm. telling them that Rowley has cancelled don't go with that guy because he's a chancer was actually you know the bad that was very good I, I thought that that twist was done very smartly yeah um, and that crew cut is part of a secret society which was obvious actually because you know hello look at my tattoo it's <laughs> Yeah, Secret but Charlie is... just didn't know what it was and was like, eh. No, but there's not exactly a school for seers, is there? Right, no, no. no. So probably... But there probably... needs to be because there's a million of them. Oh, they're just everywhere now. Dime a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be dime a dozen, is it? It's like penny a dozen, quarter a dozen, ten pence to a dozen. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, prob- so yeah, so probably Gates being that random in the in the pub yeah. I did enjoy it when they got rejected the beers <laughs> you got ID no, no. cool please <laughs> see um, and that's another hot fuzz yes when's your birthday oh out <laughs> get out so uh, yeah well but I'm just I'm just in my own little world here now <laughs> the only thing that I found surprising about this book is that Sam cravat wearing handsome posh elegant boy <laughs> falls for you know fuck ugly chav in a tracksuit <laughs> oh 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 I'm clearly holding Sam to very high standards here. You really are. I am. I'm sorry, but he's just he's just so handsome. I don't want I can't. No. Look past the tracksuit, Amanda. Charlie is a good guy. I mean it doesn't say anywhere that I recall that he's ugly. No, it doesn't. But because because of hot fuzz and the tracksuit <laughs> Would you prefer him in some corduroys and a tie or something? Does he have to wear I a don't... cravat like Sam? No. Just, it's the tracksuit. It's the tracksuit. 
she judging him by his tracksuit? I am judging him by his tracksuit. Don't always wear a tracksuit, man. I can, can imagine like, the tracksuit's probably jeans on or something. Oh, I can't imagine jeans and you know when he takes his prosthesis off. Oh yeah, that would be tough on to, his, on to his roll stump. up. Well, because he ties them off, and then yeah, that that would be really uncomfortable. So for a practical use, I can imagine him being in like sweats and tracksuits. <sighs> but you know, you can wear sweats and you can wear tracksuit bottoms. But have a like a polo shirt on the top to make it yeah, a little bit smarter. Just, just make it an elegant tracksuit. You know what? He needs queer eyeing. Charlie needs to go through queer eye. Netflix needs to get onto Charlie and say, Right, we're gonna get Bobby out to redesign your house and make it more disabled friendly. We're gonna read, and know. we're gonna get you out of your tracksuit and into more comfortable pants. Yes, you know maybe they're just breakaways. He's got breakaway <gasps> pants. Oh or my something. god, he's no, got bedazzled the... breakaway blue jeans. Exactly, <laughs> the not blue jeans this time. The sweats. <laughs> he's got bedazzled we need to breakaway move on. sweats. We need to move on because we're gonna. We've gone to the, we've gone to the twilight zone, go. honestly. We have. We have. We need to move on. We need, need. Is it time? Is it finally time? It's time. It's time. <laughs> Would you rather? Hooray. Um, this is, I mean, kind of a surprise, not for us, but for listeners, because we didn't tell everyone ahead of time this time that we were going to be joined in this episode by author Rosie Tyler. Yay! Yay! Hello, friends! Hello! Yay. Hello! Yay. We're so You're excited. You're back! You're back! Yay! And, and, and it was only a little while ago, so, you know, it mustn't have been too traumatic. Not sure it was any couple of weeks and it's wonderful to see your joyful faces and hear your joyful dulcet tones. <laughs> and none of us are dressed scarily this time, so... This, this is what Amanda actually sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have big giant teeth that I'm lisping around this time. <laughs> I fully failed on the costume, so I'm very sorry. No, it's, it's okay. Fine. It's okay. You'll have plenty more opportunities. Like Wednesday, Adam says, psychopaths look walk amongst us and look the same as us. So wise words, very oh, wise yes. words. Exactly. Yes. Right, I'm going to delve into this, would you rather, because we asked on social media, would you rather be a human who can interact with ghosts or a ghost who can interact with humans? And on Facebook, 77% opted for being a human. On Instagram, 54% said human. With 46 ghosts, that's very close. And on TikTok, 68% are going to be humans who interact with ghosts. So everyone wants to be like mouth breathers. Uh, I'm I'm a little shocked as well but let's get some comments to see if it'll help us with our decisions because I haven't decided yet Brie on Facebook said a ghost who can interact with humans gets up to more mischief and fun also horrifying implications but you know depends on the personality and unfinished business Colin on Facebook says 
I think I'd have to go with human who can interact with ghosts, thank you. As the question says, ignoring the inevitable death angle, I've got a feeling that interacting with humans as a ghost would just lead to a lot of screaming and unhelpful running about. At least being a human, I could get used to the spookings and then get on with serious business of helping the unquiet dead resolve their unfinished business and pass. On to the sweet ever after. That and mess with people with my ghost buddies because let's face it, it's what the point in having ghost buddies is if you can't fuck with the normies. As a side note, normies tried to autocorrect to Mormons, which I think says a lot about the Apple iPhone, to be honest. I mean, I would be fine fucking with the Mormons. It's cool. <laughs> Equal opportunity. <laughs> you on Facebook just says, I'm totally with Colin. Please see you love. Vincent on Facebook said, human who can interact with ghosts so I can go and punch a ghost in the face. <laughs> and there's a specific ghost in mind there, clearly. Glenn Graham. Glenn Graham Jen. Yes. That's a good snack. Oh, sometimes, sometimes you've got to slap a bitch and sometimes that bitch is dead. So. Yes. <laughs> Glim Glam Joan on Instagram said, want to be a ghost. I've got a mortal enemy to haunt in slime. Like a lot of slime, I'm talking ankle deep. I'll spend the rest of my time hanging out in Carnegie libraries. It's good. That's a good one. At Skywolf129er on TikTok says, Ghost with humans. I can maintain the social ability of a human that way. Human with ghosts would just make me seem insane. Look at I'm being a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 yeah, Charlie? most of the ghosts ignore Charlie's rules. But he tries. Charlie he tries needs to loosen him. up. Yeah. I mean, he does a bit. But he does. Like, you know, he grows. He changes. He relaxes a little bit there. Yeah. What an uptight does. boy. Do you know, I, I think I'm with you, though. I think I would want to be a ghost. Not now. I'm quite happy being alive. But, you know, when I'm done living... I don't think I want to be a human who sees ghosts because having written a whole book about how difficult that is, in fact, two books about how difficult that is, I think I'd rather stay a not ghost-seeing human. But when I do depart this mortal coil, I would want to be able to interact with humans because otherwise you're just lonely. I mean, you chat to other ghosts and stuff, but who doesn't want to be able to creep up behind people in bookshops and whisper, you need them both? And, you know, oh come off! You do that and re- you do that now. I mean, I do that now, but I would just continue my good work <laughs> as a ghost. You're the voice of my head ghost. does that now. <laughs> I, I well, can you haunt me? Because I'm going to be the human who sees ghosts. Because I don't mind being that crazy person. I talk to myself all the time, anyways. And then when I die, then I'll be the ghost that can interact with humans later. Then mm. I'm, you know, best of both worlds. But you know, I might as well make some kind of cool television career out of it as well. Like, not Derek Akora because he was, you know, R.I.P. Derek Akora, a complete fake. I don't know if you know who Derek Cora is, Amanda. He was like one of those psychic mediums who does the, does the ghost hunting programs, but he got found out to be a complete fraud. Oh. And I did see him live once, and it was absolute rubbish. It was complete. He got nothing right. 
Um, mm. And he was changing his story halfway through to fit the narrative of the person no. he's talking to. No. Complete fake. No. But, I, but this means I could be like a genuine person and not do the whole psychic medium of, oh, your granny's here and she's got good messages for you. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to castles, and spooky places, and go and you know maybe I'll get off team skeptic. I might be team believer at that point. Oh. <laughs> Can we be your sidekicks? Of course, frightening style fi- sidekicks. You know, I will be the Michael J. Fox. You can okay. be, you know, the groovy disco guy or the the sheriff, the hanging okay. judge. Sorry. Okay, I like it. I think that sounds like a really good idea. Cool. Okay, next question. Would you rather be a free ghost, a tethered ghost, or a looped ghost? Oh, you wouldn't want to be looped, would you? No. I want to be looped because it's the scariest one. Yeah, but for you. For me, it would suck. But if anybody falls into it, it then I mean, then you get friends forever. (laughs) Right? Right? <laughs> I love that your face up. You're like, yeah, right. This is my friends. Come on. <laughs> Come on. They can never leave me. Mwahaha. I mean, I don't set ghost traps ghost. to make friends. Ghost traps are friends. I'm going to go for free ghost because I don't see why you would want to be any other kind of ghost other than a free soul to go wherever you like and do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. within because you're still without a body so you can't really interact with anything that isn't a seer or anybody that isn't a seer but hey you could go traveling free cinema tickets for life exactly you know you could go on the rides at disney world because do not ask me how the world building thing works where you would be able to go on a disney ride but i decided that you would because they can get into cars and when the car moves they move do we know why no we don't no we don't we don't question so i feel like if they got on a roller coaster it would just go it'd be fine they could go on the roller coaster yeah. So you just have like free cinema tickets, free access to theme parks. You know, you just hang out with your ghost friend. It'd be great. And you won't have to worry about anything. Like, you know, you could go to Antarctica, go and see the penguins. You don't have to worry about, you know, survival. You don't need to eat. You don't need to sleep. No. Go and pet a polar bear without <gasps> the fear. Could. Of... You could pet a polar bear. You could pet a polar, polar bear. bear feel it? Nah, probably not. Are polar bears seers? I don't know. Yeah. It depends. It depends if they've had the double. De- if if somebody's died for them at the same time, doesn't it? I would love to be like, you know what? I've thought about this, and in my iceberg world building, I have all the answers. But I tell you, I tell you what, the iceberg in my case is a lie. I I make up the world things that I need to tell the story. So I don't know if polar bears can see the dead. I feel like at least one of them can, but he's a bit weird. Yeah. I feel like we just need to write it in. It's canon now. Well, what happened, one is, what happened is, there was, this, there was two polar bear cubs. Okay, I'm sorry, you know, people who like polar bears and stuff. Well, there's two polar bear cubs, right? And polar bear daddies don't like cubs. And unfortunately, this polar bear daddy, you know, knocked them around a little bit because polar bear daddies can be jerks. And one of them, like, you know, it was a bit of a Heather Charlie kind of style, gave life for the other to live. And now that baby polar bear grew up to be a big polar bear and is a sea of polar bear. You've got to find that polar bear. I feel a bit sad for that polar bear though because I be- I bet that polar bear is constantly hunting seals they think are there but actually isn't there. They're just seeing ghosts <sighs> of seals. Oh no. But then has a seal sidekick who actually tells them who the real seals are. I'm like, yeah, that guy's a jerk. He owes me 50 quid. Get him. 
We don't trust that one, man. We're trying to be kind to the polar bears. <laughs> don't trust that one. Beware of orcas. You can go out for, searching for the orcas and be like, don't go on that ice shelf. There's orcas underneath and they're going to try and tip it over because orcas are jerks. Why is everybody in the sea a jerk? Dolphins are jerks. Dolphins are jerks. Otters, love otters, love turtles. Sea turtles. Yeah, no turtles are jerks. It's just, it's just existing. They're just floating around there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Swimming and away. The, and it's only the daddy polar bear who's a jerk. The mammy polar bears are lovely. Really nurtures them, you know, supports okay. them. Okay. Until they're an adult and then goes, you know, you're on your own now. Nature. <laughs> What? I've been watching Attenborough documentaries. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. Would you rather sneak into the cemetery chapel or eavesdrop in York Minster? York Minster's huge and very Ooh. echoey. I, do you know, I feel like it has more escape routes though. So I would go for eavesdropping in York Minster. Because I think it would be easier to escape from if you were caught. Whereas the cemetery chapel, there's only one way out. Mm. And also, you know, bodies, ew. I mean, there's bodies in both of them. I've got a cemetery near where I live and there's a chapel in it. And I drove past it today and I was looking at it, as I always do, pondering how you break into this thing. I'm not going to. But after reading the book, I was like, there's only one entrance and one exit, and it's a little rundown. Could I sneak into that? No, because the driveway leads straight up to it, so it's just full frontal visible Mm -hmm. from the road. I mean, I think part of the thing of sneaking in is pretending like you have every right to be there. Don't act sneaky. Like, don't like sneak sneak you know <laughs> you just gotta walk up to the door and not in fact knock on the gatehouse and be like hey do you guys have the key i lost the key and i need to get in and jim's gonna be so upset with me can i borrow your spare key and i'll bring it back in like 10 minutes and then they'll be like oh who are you and you're like sandra you know sandra from the the holiday club thing and i've just got to go in and do some cleaning because they're bringing that weird ghost tour around and you just you know, make it up and then they'll give you the key and then you go snoop and then you bring it back and you're like, thanks, you guys are a lifesaver. <laughs> and it's all <laughs> Sneak with confidence. I like it. Sneak like with confidence. It. That was amazing. Um, I I am going to sneak in the cemetery chapel and I'm going to do it the wrong way because I need to carry a crowbar with me. And I'm. <clears throat> we talked about this in the live with your story undoing a belt and putting a tool in the belt and then belting it back up and that that almost happened here i mean he he carried he carried the crowbar himself but he he carries himself it is not um it's not what i would call a moment (sighs) but it made me think about that and i was like yeah "Yeah, okay so that's what i'm doing so that's what i'm doing i'm gonna crowbar myself into the cemetery job smooth moves yeah. I'm going to eavesdrop in York Minster. Mm, yeah. Yeah, eavesdrop with yeah. me. We'll take snacks. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah. We'll distract the guard. It'll be easy enough. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be a gaggle of nuns walk by or something. I don't know. I love a nun. love a gaggle of nuns. Actually, what is the collective noun for a nun? That's a very good question. That a is a good question. And we love collective nouns. 
<clears throat> as and is the collective noun for a nun different than the collective noun for a monk? Yeah. It's a convent or a sisterhood. Oh, um, boring. Yeah, convent. It's boring. Yeah. yeah. And monks. Oh, or you can describe the monks or nuns interchangeably as a collective of con- uh, congreg- as a congregation. I think not... congregations for like the lay folks. Yeah, they're the ones who <clears throat> you know gather to to meet them. An yeah. abbey of monks. An abbey of monks. I mean, that makes sense. They need yeah. a better collective noun. That's they disappointing. Do. Yeah, a creep of nuns. A float of nuns. Nuns you're make, sort, you're turning you? them all into ghosts. That's because every time you see nuns on TV, they always just kind of float along really creepily. They mm. do. They sort of hover. Except the really like cool ones who skip and stuff. And the ones There's... who are in Sister Act. Yeah. There, they, there, there, there is a convent in, my, in the city I'm in. I could go and ask them. There is a monk abbey, whatever just down the road from me. I'll go in there go, and talk to you them. You go ask the nuns. I'll go and talk to the nuns. I'll take the, I'll take them up on their offer for the cup of tea 30 years later. Yes. yes. Good. Good. Okay. Would you rather keep a big, important, life-altering secret from your friends or your parents? Oh, it does depend on the secret, though, doesn't it? It does. That's hard, though, because I wouldn't want to keep anything from my parents. It would be very unnecessary. My parents are pretty pretty ra- relaxed people. They're very chill. And I think if I was like, yeah, so I can see the dead, they'd be like, that's nice, dear. I just, I mean, they'd have questions, but I don't think they'd be bothered. And I, yeah, I don't think my friends would be either, but it depends. It depends on the secret. But I wouldn't want to have to lie to anyone, really. you got to lie to someone. I know. Oh, I don't know. Okay, but actually, um, really what I have to decide is, are my parents going to listen to this? And therefore, I get away with saying, sorry, mum and dad, um, but I, depending on the secret, maybe I'd hide it from you because it's fewer people. There's only two people mm. instead of like all my friends. That's but then if it was a life-changing thing that I was like bad or ashamed, I was ashamed of or difficult, then I'd be more likely to want to tell my parents. So it's a hard one. I'm trying to think of the secret. And I'm th- I'm, the easiest one is to go that I can see ghosts. And I'm like, if I told my mum, she'd be like, yeah, it's on brand. <laughs> and if I told my friends, I'd probably say the same thing, actually. I'm going to say friends just because I do go ghost hunting with a couple of them fairly on the regs and it means that if I can see the ghosts and they don't know it I can mess with them so you want to withhold that information so that you could play practical jokes respect yes yeah yeah I'm doing it for the lols (laughs) doing it for the lols always for the lols always for the lols such a good answer I was I was thinking like more deeply about it I think than doing it for the lols like I feel like if I had a big life-altering secret the people closest to me would probably know or like have figured it out. So if neither one of, you know, my parents or my friends knew, like they suck. So then I hate everyone. And I'm just going to keep secrets from everyone for the rest of my life. And then I'm going to turn into like a grizzled specter when I die. And 
haunt everybody and it's going to be horrible because nobody knows the truth. Well, I would counteract that though because you do have a lot of online friends and if we don't see you day to day in your normal interactions, it's difficult to know what would be out of the norm and therefore this would be secret. That's true. It's online friends. They might not see you in a way that allows... They only see more of what you want them to see. Hmm. You can curate it. I'm just defending myself here, by the way. (laughs) Because you don't know my life-altering secret. I hate you, Claire. (gasps) Why? 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 (laughs) Well, let us know if you're going to haunt us. Look at the catalog. Yeah, sure. Okay. (laughs) Will do. Cool. (laughs) Last question. Would you rather be caught in a death loop or a ghost bottle? I mean, they both suck, so <laughs> neither. I wonder okay. if you could be like rattle, rattle your own ghost bottle enough that you fall over and smash it. Let, okay, let's think about this logically. Okay, so if you're trapped in a ghost bottle, you're essentially in a death loop. You're in a contained death loop being manipulated by somebody who wants to like tap your essence which is extra bad so at least if you're in a regular ghost loop out there on the street you might have a seer stumble upon you with the secret knowledge of how to release you and you have the potential of becoming a tethered or free ghost whereas if you're in a bottle trap being held by an occultist you're just in trouble you're just in big big trouble and you probably aren't gonna survive in any capacity too much longer so i'm gonna go for death loop My only problem I... is I really want poltergeist powers. I know, that's what I was going to say. Like, I want to be a poltergeist, so shove me in a bottle. I want to be a poltergeist. I want to be a poltergeist. Right, so the origin story is me as a seer finds the ghost bottle, smashes it, and you get your poltergeist powers and then become a ghost buddy. Is that how we're linking these would you rather's together? Yes. Cool. So yeah, so essentially you only want to be in the ghost bottle if somebody is going to smash it for you so you can be free. But then you only get poltergeist powers for a limited amount of time, so you might need to be with somebody who can put you back in a different bottle mm. to recharge. Well, yes. it's fine, because if I'm a seer, then I know how or will learn how to put you back into the bottle yeah. to I'm get just, you charged. I'm just going to... I'm going to be, like, the small version of this huge war-ending weapon that we're creating. I mean the, the prototype. Rather than ghost bottles, could you have ghost Tupperware? Just you know, you know, you have to do to get you in on a night. I can just put you on a night, and then you know you're nicely kept in the the Tupperware, and then in the morning I can just lift the Tupperware bottle, the, the lid up, and just set you out that way. I mean, that's. Also I mean, I love fun. how you just like yeah. If we get, we'll we'll make the container more gentle, and therefore the by logic the ghost loop inside will be way more gentle. It'll be fine, guys. Yeah, I, I, I apologise in advance for just picking you up and shaking you like you're a pop bottle. Why? <laughs> Why you would up. you do that? I, I, impulse control problems? Like, put some glitter or something in there so when you oh, do shake yeah. me, it'll be pretty. Yeah, you'll be like a ghosty, death loop, trapped snow globe style thing. Yes. Now I need to do a short story about someone who gets, like a ghost who gets put in a ghost bottle and is just upset that there's no glitter in there with them. Yeah. It's the oh, season to write this story, yes, Rosie. It's, this is it's your Christmas season. story. My Christmas story. Where's my glitter? Oh, you like baubles? Ghost, ghost bottle baubles on the tree. Yes. 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 
and if you write it it will be our our christmas live episode one we will do it then <laughs> yes all of this is true because we do love to do live episodes for christmas so you're gonna need to write us a christmas short story that's my short story about ghosts and baubles yes in a non-horrendous way yes in a in a jolly sort of way maybe leone can work out how to do that if anybody could leone could do it yeah yeah i agree and then like there's a santa involved and he's wearing some of the little specks because i mean they i feel like they look like santa glasses so the the santa is involved Santa's always involved. <laughs> you get right. around that, man. <laughs> if you've got seers, you've got magic, why can't Santa be real? And he's the one who who helps Leone. He's the one who gifts Leone a box of bor- special baubles <laughs> full of Christmas spirit and, yes. you know, deathly character. <laughs> That's a Christmas Spirits. spirit. Oh, my God. Okay, well, we've, we've got you started. Now you just pick it up and make it into something real. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Go. It's and it, plus with it being, it doesn't have to make any sense. No, it's it does not. Sense. It does not have to make any sense. And then when everyone's like, "Why did you write this?" Fictional Hangover told me to. to it was false. It's Would their fault. The reason is I need to do anything for the lols. The reason is for, for the, the lols. lols. Perfect. That's perfect. What a good ending to Would You Rather. That was great. That was- <laughs> <gasps> I know why he doesn't wear smarter outfits. Have you been thinking about this though? No, it's literally just come up on my screen because I scrolled up. Quote, at least he's not wearing tasseled loafers. Nan always said not to trust a bloke with tassels on his loafers. Oh, is that your favourite final thought quote? No. Because that's where we are right now. No. Is it but perfect I'm, timing? It's per- No, it, it's, it's a perfect segue sort of but yeah that's why Sam not Sam Charlie doesn't wear smarter outfits because his nan taught him not to trust people like that or at least with tassels on their loafers what else what else do you have if that's not your favourite final thought I'm going to give you four this this one this first one I feel it in my soul okay well I feel it in my knees why are there always stairs? I hate no. stairs, especially old, uneven stairs. If we ever meet whoever built this place, I'm telling them they should consider putting a lift in their next creepy underground lair or whatever this is. <laughs> I feel it in my, soul, my knees. It's really good. <sighs> okay, next one. I mean, why the hell not? If you can't do weed stuff when you're dead, when can you? Oh, yeah, I had that one too. It's so good. <gasps> Did you? Sorry. Yes. No, it's fine. It's so good. I love <laughs> Let us meet adventure and not a moderate amount of peril. <laughs> I, 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 I would side note like to say I nearly just copied everything that Villa said because yeah. it was gold. He's the best. <laughs> you have a nice face. Wouldn't it be a shame if it rotted off? Ah! <laughs> It's good. I'll I'll end it there. Um okay, so I have a couple and I had the one obviously that you already said. But there was one 
at the beginning, and I was like, I have to write this down because I love it so much. And it's like at the end of a huge paragraph and like all this stuff is happening. And then it just ends with blah, blah, shut up. And I loved it so much. That happens on every bonus episode recording that people don't get to see slash hear. Because it gets edited out. (laughs) Love it. So I've got to be something I'm not just to make strangers feel more comfortable? No, thank you. They'll just stare anyway. It's true. It's true. Kubrick called. Lenny whispers, Overlook Hotel wants its wallpaper back. (laughs) (laughs) I saw you in that line. So good. You just kind of ducked in, said it, and ducked back out again. (laughs) Finally, stop perving on people in their own homes. It's intrusive. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. (sighs) I love everything. I love everything about this book. It's great. Okay. It's great. If you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? I'm going to suggest one that I haven't read yet, but sounds interesting and stuff. It's called The Other Ones by Fran Hart. Um, It's not even tenuous. There are clear links. The summary from Goodreads. Sal lives in a haunted house. He longs to be ordinary, but when the strangest of strangers arrives on his doorstep, a fellow outcast called Pax, his life grows even more complicated. Sal goes on to develop an unlikely friendship with Pax, whose love for all things spooky drew him to the house and its inhabitants. But as the two grow closer, the truer nature of the hauntings is gradually revealed. Will Sal find the courage to conquer his ghosts, or will he risk losing Pax for good? It's another gorgeous gear boy haunting yeah. book. Um, mm. That, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Feed it to me. What have you got? Well, I am going to suggest Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Now, did you pick this out before we talked to Rosie? Okay, I'll get off. I was very shocked. I was very shocked when she talked about that and I wanted to say that's what I was going to suggest. But We'll also see Anna Dress in Blood by Condara Blake. Right, but that's <laughs> next week's episode, so we'll get to that one before you do. So what you're saying is people have time to read it. Maybe. Participate in book club. Maybe. Okay, so the summary for Cemetery Boys. Yadriel has summoned a ghost and now he can't get rid of him. When his traditional Latinx family has problems accepting his gender, Yadriel becomes determined to prove himself a real brujo. With the help of his cousin and best friend Maritza, he performs the ritual himself and then sets out to find the ghost of his murdered cousin and set it free. However, the ghost he summons is actually Julian Diaz, the school's resident bad boy, and Julian is not about to go quietly into death. He's determined to find out what happened and tie up some loose ends before he leaves. Left with no choice, Yadriel agrees to help Julian so they can both get what they want. But the longer Yadriel spends with Julian, the less he wants him to leave. Oh. Oh. That sounds so good. I am honestly actually surprised we haven't covered Cemetery Boys already. I know. 
me too. We need to rectify me that too. in the new yes, year. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Do we have a new and indie spotlight? Considering you managed to pull one out of the bag for Mayfly, that was 100% appropriate. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if you have anything, if you've got, if you've, got, if you've been able to, so. I've got one. Okay. I've got one, and this one is a recent one, and the book comes out very soon. Mm-hmm. It's called To Kill a Shadow by Catherine Quinn. And the book is released on November 28th. Uh-huh. Jude Maddox knows nothing of love or even light. He knows only his grim duty as the hand of death oh, to lead the knights the of the eternal star this? into a land filled with nightmares and certain demise. <laughs> it's like people actually listen to the show and send us things they know we'll like. I genuinely think we're just manifesting all of these books into existence. (laughs) It's only when he sees her, a young woman with wild amber eyes, who's as fierce, defiant, and swift as the shadow beasts themselves, that he feels the warmth of life in his blood. (laughs) The other knights may fear their lethal commander with his hard, merciless demeanor, Outcast Kiara Frey sees only a leader, a man who knows how to survive. Someone like her. But wanting him is just as treacherous as the shadows themselves. And just as seductive. Ooh. With a kingdom on the verge of collapse, the knights must now venture into the darkest heart of the land and uncover the secrets of the misted shadows, where evil will prey upon their minds and feast on their flesh. It will betray their senses. It will surpass their nightmares. Most of them will die, but they have no other choice, because the only way to fight the darkness is to become it. Oh. <laughs> Do you know, I'm it finding it really complimentary amazing. how many people are just writing books for us. I know. Sounds so good. Thanks, everyone. <sighs> Manifest so positivity in the world and you get it right back. Yes. Okay. So that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. Oh, it's I'm been Amanda. A good one. So and I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Anna Dressed in Blood by and with Kendara Blake. It's been a while since she's been on the show. So Too long. Too long. We had, we had to drag her back on. And I think she's still the most visited guest that we have. Well, I mean... I'm pretty sure she's still the queen. I... Yeah. Oh, she's a queen. This is... This is only going to help her case. She she is she is she is a queen. She is. She wears three dark crowns. Oh gosh. And sits on one dark throne. Stop she, it, Amanda. Stop, stop it. it. Stop it. Look she out for our would you rather polls on social media. <laughs> Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Sometimes we shop on Redbubble. Redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictional hangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. 
you can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok and YouTube at Fictional Hangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictional hangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.